Well, as we saw earlier in the chapter, he was saying don't, don't uh, stop counting it all joy when you enter into various trials. And he told us about the things that the trial was, were supposed to produce. Now he talks about the enduring and the endurance we should have in those trials. And he says those that endure are blessed. But the only difference between those that are blessed and those that are not is their endurance. He goes on and talks about once we are approved, there is a crown of reward awaiting for us. So we're going to take a look at who does the approval and what is the criteria for this particular crown. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he calls them Blessed. Weist puts the translation this way. Spiritually prosperous is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Because after he has met the test and been approved, he shall receive the crown, namely, that crown which has to do with the life eternal, which crown he promised to those who love him. Now this word for endures is the same word that we saw in verses 3 and 4. Same kind of endurance. Same kind of persevering under pressure. Under the, the pressure of the test of the trial. The same type of perseverance. He's going right back to that. The temptation here, or the test of trials, which, whichever way you want to look at that, it's exactly the same word as it was in verse 2. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Or, as Weiss puts it, remains steadfast under the trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trial. If you are going to be blessed by remaining steadfast, then the enemy's job is to get you to move. God wants you to stay. Now, the enemy is going to do everything he can to push you off and to get you off of there. I have to remain under it. God is not going to take me, plant my feet, and not let me move. It is something I have to do. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It is the man who must endure it. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now this word here, when he has been approved, the Greek word means universally proved, tried. In the New Testament, one who is tried faith, uh, faith and, who is tried of faith and integrity. One who is tried of faith and integrity. When he has been approved, this is after the fact that he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So when is this approval going to happen and who does the approval? Now it's the enemy who's trying to get you to move. It is us who has to keep us to stay and it is God who is standing back and watching and who will approve the servant who remains under, who stays steadfast and doesn't move. God is the one who's doing the approving. It is not other people. It is not the enemy. We are never under trial to get the approval of the enemy. God could care less what the enemy has to say about us. He's not going to listen to his accusations. And if the enemy were ever so inclined to praise you, God wouldn't listen to that either. God does not care anything about what the enemy has to say. So the only approval here that's going to, to, that is in mind is that that comes from God. 
God is going to do the approval. So once we are approved, that crown will come upon us. The crown comes from God. So therefore, the approval has to come from God. If he's the one who's given the crown, he's the one who's going to decide who's going to get it. And so he has a criteria that he is looking at. And if we meet the criteria, then we will get the crown. So what is the criteria? It would seem the only criteria here is whether you endure. What other type of uh, criteria is it? What other criteria is there? If you endure. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, first off, we're supposed to count it all joy when we encounter them. But he says, if we continue and endure them, we will be blessed for he has been, for when he has been approved. Just because you are under the test and trial does not mean you are approved. The, there's a certain amount of endurance. God is looking for us to hit a certain point. And once we hit that point, there is an approval for that particular thing. That's what we need to hit. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this particular crown is promised. The word here for crown, there's two words in the New Testament for crown. We've gone over this numerous different times in in the course of uh, months and years here. But I'll go over them here again. The first one is Stephanos. That's where my name comes from. That which surrounds, it is a victor's crown. It is a crown that is achieved because of a victory. Because of attaining to something that there's a criteria that's put out. You who comes across the finish line first. You who in a wrestling match is the, the one who overcomes the other person. There's, there's a preset. This is what you will do. Here's the finish line in the race. You have to come across it. Here's how we determine who is the winner of the wrestling match. Because those are the two main, two main things they would do is uh, running races and, and wrestling matches. They didn't have football and basketball and baseball and all that other stuff. They'd, they had uh, their types of sports. And so we have to understand it from, from that. And they would get these crowns for these things. Some of the places where you'll see this is 1 Corinthians 9.25 and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, a perishable Stephanos, but we for an imperishable Stephanos. 2 Timothy 4.8, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that, on that day, and not only and not to me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. See, there's a criteria when you hit this, when you do this, this is a crown that will come to you. God doesn't just hand out crowns up in heaven. There is a criteria for them, and they go to the victor. Not like in a if you have a physical race down here, only one person is the victor in that race. But with God, all you have to do is, main, is uh, hit the criteria that he says, and you can be the victor. And he can have lots of victors. He wants to have lots of victors. He wants to give away a lot of crowns. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Revelation 2, 10, Do not fear any of these of those things which you are about to suffer. Writing to the church. don't He's telling them things are coming, you're going to suffer, don't fear them. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until the end and I will give you the crown of life. 
So there, the criteria is be faithful to the end. Chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. That's about the only time we have that you might, might lose one. Don't let anybody come and take it. Behold, I am coming quickly. In other words, you're, hold, you're holding on to things. You're doing things in a certain way. At the end of life, you would achieve this crown. But if before you get to the end of life, don't let someone stop you. Don't let someone cut you off. Keep on going. The second word is diadem or diadema, always a symbol of a kingly or imperial dignity. In Revelations 12.3, this is where we see most of, uh, as far as I know, this is where we see the references to it. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Those are not achieved. That is a crown of, a symbol of being kingly, imperial dignity. Revelations 13.1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. 19 and 12, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. All three of these times we're seeing that word diadem. This is speaking of a king that is just bestowed upon the king. The king has a successor. They would come up. They would take that crown, put it on them. That would be it. It would not be a Stephanos. It would not be an achieved crown. Another uh, place you can look for this is Matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine. I didn't write that down in my in my uh, outline, but it's, it's uh, talking about the crown they put upon Jesus when the crown of thorns. That was a Stephanos. That they actually shaped it like one, but they made it out of thorns instead of something. Uh, that was uh, more pleasant to put on your head. They made this one out of thorns. So it was kind of mocking in that particular way. In verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So this is right after he's talking about that we would get a crown. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved. You got temptation? Temptation is coming. The test and trial is coming upon you. When you're on a test and trial, there is an option to go the shortcut. There's an option to get out. That's where the temptation comes in. It's a test that comes upon us. The temptation is to take the easy way out, to go in a way other than what God said. Some of the easy ways we can see this is if someone comes and tests your faith and says, give up Jesus Christ. Don't confess him as Lord. Confess this one as Lord. And... And we could certainly see that test or trial and we could see the way out would be a temptation to sin. But not all of them are quite as easy. Sometimes God has given us an assignment. Do this particular thing and temptation comes upon us that we want to quit the assignment. We want to not do the assignment. We want to get away from the assignment because people get mad at us when we do the assignment. We don't like it. So endure the temptation. Stay with it. Let no one say when he is tempted, same word that's here, tempted or tested, I am tempted or tested by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God does not put us under a situation or a, a, a test in which he is saying, here is a way out of evil. And is tempting us with that. He's not saying, hey, you want to try and take the easy way out? Do you want to try and take, that is not God. God does not do this. He doesn't tempt anyone with evil. When God tests us, it is not with evil. The enemy comes along and he does that. 
So let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted or I am tested by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Evil is not a part of our God. Now the word tempted there is the same word we've been seeing all through James for test and trials. I gave you a number of references there. I'm not going to read them all. But just in case you want to take a look at that word in other places. First Peter 4.12, the last one. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Fiery trials are going to come upon us. When evil is associated with the test or trial, it does not come from God. If you want an example of how to look at this, when the fiery furnace was put before the uh, the Hebrew children, and they had the option to to not bow or to to bow, and they decided not to bow. That is not a test that God put upon them because the test was evil. It was a test to try and get you to worship a false god. What he is saying here is, if James was written back in the Old Testament and Daniel and his buddies could have gotten a hold of it and could have read over this, they would know this test did not come from God. God is not putting this test upon me to see what I'm made of. This test came upon me because of the evil one, because of the devil. So therefore, don't look to God as saying, oh God, I I know you have a purpose for bringing me through this. I know you have uh, something that you want me to accomplish by going through this fiery furnace. Now, God did accomplish some things going through the fiery furnace. How his uh, children went through that fiery furnace changed the king. It had some positive effects. The angel of the Lord showed up inside the furnace. People saw God is strong. But God had, he had no intent, no, no part of this. God did not put that test upon the people. The enemy did trying to destroy them. But God says the enemy may throw these things at you and they are evil. I have no hand in that, but I'll bring you through it. I'll help them bring you through it. So this is why he's writing this, because in some of the places where they're at, that's the exact kind of things that they're going through. They're in some cities where emperor worship is demanded. And they don't want to do the emperor worship. They're in some cities where you have to, you're expected to be worshiping Diana or some of these other deities that would come up. And you're expected to have some of the heathen practices that go on about the, the, the temple. And they're saying, no, we won't do this. But he's saying, God did not bring you out to these places and say, let's see what they're made of and put them through this. And that's why he emphatically is letting them know, let no one say when he is tempted, when you are tested, when you have a fiery trial or you have some kind of a test that has come upon you that is testing the very core of your faith. Either it's getting you to walk away from God, getting you to doubt God, getting you to compromise His Word, whatever it might be. If there is an evil element to it, God is not involved in the test. He's still watching. He's still looking upon it. But He is not involved in that particular test. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. There are tests that go on that do not involve evil. Those ones, God's behind. There's no evil in this. There's just, there's just, uh, 
there's good. Now we can fall from it and not, not accomplish what we're supposed to do in the test and have an evil result there, somewhat evil. I mean, if we're not going into, into sinner, but we didn't, we didn't quite come out to where we were supposed to. But, uh, I guess you could probably look at the disciples when Jesus took the three into the garden and he said, stay here and pray. And they couldn't do it. <laughs> now, it was to their benefit to have done so if they would have endured and they would have prayed for the, the time that Jesus would have said it would have helped them as far as enduring temptation that was, that was coming. This temptation was coming. It wasn't from God. It was coming. The enemy is, is sending this and God says, I see this coming. You want to get ready for it? Do this. They didn't do it. And so when it came, they weren't ready. But God tried to get them ready. They just uh, decided not to go the way that God said. I put this in your outline for you. The idea is not that God cannot test anyone, but that God does not test with evil. That's the idea that James is trying to get across to you. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, it talks about how Abraham, that he was tested in offering up Isaac. In Revelation 2, 2, it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And I found them to be liars. There is testing that goes on. God will do testing. We are supposed to do testing. But as far as coming along with evil, that's not God. Fiery furnaces. Bow down to this image. That's not God. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Put it, see, uh, rewrote it for you this way. Each one is tempted or tested with evil. Each one is tempted or each one is tested with evil when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The thing that's making this a test or a trial is because my desires of such are that I want to do it. I want to go out there. If you were in, in Daniel's day and they demanded that you worship this, this thing, there'd be a, Something on the inside. I'm just, I'm just going to bow down. I'm just going to go the way of least resistance. I'm just going to bow down and then get back up. But I'm not worshiping that thing. But certain ones said, no, we're not even going to bow down. We're going to be, we're just going to do what God told us to do and stay with it. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I put this in your outline for you. What makes things that are evil a test for us is our flesh nature, not the nature of God. What makes it a test is our flesh nature, not the nature of God. I have the nature of God in me. If I live up to the nature of God, that thing is not a test. If I live up to my flesh nature, that thing is a test. It's kind of like if you're on a diet and you only want to do so many calories a day. You don't, it doesn't matter what calories you do, but you, let's just say that you will pull a number out of the hat. Let's say that you're doing 1200 calories a day diet. I think that's a little bit lower than most people generally go to. And if you're going to look for losing some, some weight, most people look at uh, lowering the calories. So you're on a diet, 1200 calories a day. The particular diet you're on doesn't care where you get them from. But if you get them from more high caloric sources, then you are going to um, not eat as much. <laughs> so you try, you want to try and get other things as well. But say that you hit your 1200 calories by 4 p.m. in the afternoon and somewhere around 7 or 8 o'clock you got hungry. 
and you wanted to eat something. And all that was available to you was Brussels sprouts. Now, for some of us smarter people, that would not even be a temptation. We would look upon those Brussels sprouts and say, nope, I'm not even tempted to, I don't care how hungry I am, I am not eating the Brussels sprouts. Or you can go to the next level. See, Brussels sprouts for me are right along the lines of cooked cabbage. I just look at them as miniaturized cooked cabbage right there. Just small, small little things of cooked cabbage. And it's probably why I don't like them. I don't like them at all. I would go hungry. If I was on a deserted island and all they had was cooked cabbage and Brussels sprouts, I would, I would just look to starve as soon as I could. <laughs> just not eating them. <laughs> but there wouldn't be a temptation because there's nothing in me that wants to eat the Brussels sprouts. But if there was a nice juicy, juicy hamburger, now, see, now we're on the other the other side. Now there's something in me that wants to come after the hamburger and get the ha- I want the hamburger. I can smell the hamburger cooking. I can smell the cooked cabbage cooking too. That don't draw me in. That draws me away. I don't like it. But the, the cooked hamburger, or maybe there might be a steak out there, or whatever it might be, it begins to draw you in. And you begin, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, I know I hit 1,200 already, but... Mm. <laughs> And we can get drawn in. That's the thing with the temptation. What God wants to see us do is regardless of whether it's Brussels sprouts or a burger, if I hit the, the limit where I'm going to be and I said this is where I'm going to stop, I stop. If God said this is the limit, this is where you can go and I hit that edge, I don't go over there and see how, how close I can get to the edge, how far I can reach over without actually stepping over. You know, in all those little games that we play. No. God wants to say, wants to see us be in a place where we are enduring because I'm, I'm looking at that temptation to pull me off and say, nope. Nope. Not going to do it. You know, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are all sitting over there and they're, they're looking at everybody else all bowed down to this image. I, when I read the story, I don't get that they even Flinched. To me, it was like them looking at broccoli or Brussels sprouts or cooked cabbage. Not even a temptation. They don't, I don't even feel that they were even slightly tempted to kneel. No, we're just going to stand. I don't care what you do. This is what we're going to do. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. This is what pulls us away is that I begin to look over there, I begin to entertain what I should do, what I would would want to do. Society tells me that all these things are okay. And so we're seeing it in the church today, a lot of people are moving away from the things that the Word of God said were set and true. Because they begin to they begin to look, well, I don't know, is it is it really that bad to do this? Should we really uh, go over there all that all that much, and so we've seen people in we see people who are in church leadership who decide just to live together instead of get married. Then that's okay. We, we I told you stories about this, but it was decades ago. But we had somebody who was doing something in ministry, and all of a sudden they're out there living with their girlfriend. They didn't start off that way; <laughs> just all of a sudden did it. And then I found out about it. I confronted them about it and said, what's this I hear about you 
well, you know, when this situation happened and this thing happened, we just looked like it was the best thing for us to do. I said, it wasn't. Your best thing to do was to let people know. <laughs> we might have been able to help you out with that. And so it, uh, it, it, it didn't go so well. And, um, but just, you'll see these kind of things will, will happen. That's where, you know, people even in dating, uh, they begin to date somebody who's not saved. Well, I know the Word of God said this, but, and see, you're, you're being drawn away. You're being enticed by your own, by your own lust. There's something inside. Lust does not always mean something, um, morbid. It can, it just seem, means something that you long for. I, I have a longing for a burger, or maybe a milkshake, or maybe just something frivolous, whatever it might be. I have a longing for that. I'm being drawn away, being drawn apart from where I'm supposed to go into this other thing. When I was, um, you know, I don't, I never did a whole lot with diets, except try and eat as much as you can. And that's not always easy. Don't, don't think that people eat as much as they can have it easy. I felt bad for that. Who was that swimmer? Uh, was it Phelps? I heard how many calories he had to eat. I I had to eat about half that. I think I had to eat about four forty five hundred calories a day, which was for me was tough. He was well over that. He was up to such a high caloric intake. He couldn't just drink water because there was no calories in it. He had to always be drinking sports drinks, something. There always had to be a caloric intake because I think he was around. Uh, I, I I don't remember seven eight thousand calories a day. And I know how hard it was to hit forty five. I I know it was. I had a tough time with that. I'd sometimes just look at food and say, oh, I can't stand food anymore. I just, I just want to go away from it. And you just don't want to uh, do it. But when I was going through some of the things, I'd, I stayed away from uh, certain types of sweets, except once in a week I would let myself have an ice cream sandwich. One ice cream sandwich, one day a week. That was it. And I don't, it was sometime after we had our final race of the week. Our final race of the week is usually on Saturday. So Saturday night, Sunday, I would allow myself one ice cream sandwich now they had all kinds of ice cream sandwiches there. Every time after we had a meal over at King's College, they had the dessert tray. It was out there. You go up there and get cakes and pies and cookies and whatever they were serving. You go up there and you get it. Then we were the sports team. We were allowed the extra. <laughs> they, they knew the people that were on the sports team. They wanted to fatten us up. They're always trying to give us extra food. They didn't mind giving us extra desserts. But some of the people around me, they would know Steve's trying to stay away from those. I don't know if it helped me or not. I just was trying to, you know, stay away from it. And um, and so they would try and entice me with it. Oh, look at the cake. Look at the cake. And and wouldn't even tempt me because I had so set my direction. I don't want that. I'm going after this. That it wasn't even a temptation. That's what we have to do with this. We have to set our direction so much that what the Word of God has said we are to do, nothing else even pulls us off. When we can get to that place, endurance isn't hard. If I continue to have the battle, if every time I was going to dinner and someone's going to wave a cookie in front of me, oh boy, I sure want one of those things. I'm wavering. <laughs> I'm going to pull myself off because every time I'm making the decision, do I have dessert today or not? But I didn't make the decision every day. I made the decision once. And I wasn't going to come off of it. I stayed with it the entire time in the, in the season. Off season, it wasn't quite that way. But during the season... When we had cross-country season, I didn't care about track season. Track, I just did track. I didn't care about track. But cross-country, I cared about. So from the time that we would be training, which would be August, September, October, November, into December, they're very restricted on that. But 
if I continually look at the temptation and allow my flesh nature to rise up and say, oh, but I want to do that. I want to think that. I want this to go on. If I keep flirting with it, then it's going to wear away my my endurance. I'm not going to endure as much. If I keep thinking all the time, oh God, look how strong I have been. Oh, look at all the things I'm going against. I'm just eroding my foundation. Because all I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do. We just need to do it. What makes things that are evil a test for us is our flesh nature. I've got to get that flesh nature gone. I've got to die to the flesh nature. And we've talked about how fasting and things of that nature come along and help you. Now, if God cannot be tempted by evil, then God in, then the God in us is not drawn to it. If God cannot be tempted by evil, then the God part that is in us cannot be drawn to the evil. If I am drawn to the evil, it is because the flesh nature in me, I'm awakened to it. And I'm battling that flesh nature. You don't want to have to battle that flesh nature. You want to get to the place where you are dead to that flesh nature. Where you, no, I'm, that's, that's gone. This is Monday. I don't do dessert on Monday. That's not even a temptation. And it was not. They could flow those things. They could have fresh cooked cake and, you know, all this, all the smells, all the aroma. Nope. It wouldn't pull me out. That's where we have to get. God desires, good desires can result in wrong enticements when we allow ourselves to be drawn over set boundaries. I'll give you some examples on this. But good desires can result in wrong enticements when we allow ourselves to be drawn over the set of boundaries. God has set a set of boundaries. I'll give you a couple of examples here. You can write them in if you want to or not. Moses at the rock. Moses at the rock. He had good desires to bring water to the people, to help the people, to bring the lessons of God to the people. But he stepped over the boundaries of what he was supposed to do. And he struck the rock instead of spoken to it. We're talking about the second time. Saul at the sacrifice. Saul had a good desire. The desire was, I want to have the sacrifice before we go into battle. That was a good desire. There was nothing wrong with that desire. He saw the people were getting, uh, were leaving. It was a good desire to keep them together. But he allowed those desires to take him over the boundaries. And so he said, I'll just make the sacrifice. And as soon as he got finished with the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. And he had stepped over the boundaries. So good desires can result in wrong enticements when we allow ourselves to be drawn over the set boundaries. i got to know what are the boundaries that God has set for me. Those boundaries are what I am not supposed to be drawn away from or drawn outside of. If, if you look at it in a ministry aspect, if you are a, called into a prophet's ministry, there are set boundaries for the prophet and how they are supposed to operate. They're not supposed to step over and become an evangelist for a week, or to become a teacher, or to become a pastor, or whatever else they might be. They're set boundaries. Different ones are called into different things. If I am an eye in the body of Christ, I shouldn't try and be a hand. If I'm a thumb, I shouldn't try and be a foot. I've got to be what I am in the body of Christ. Now, there are also wrong desires. Of course, we, we know those. There are some wrong desires and they'll, of course, pull you out. But I want you to see the difference. There's sometimes good desires 
that will pull us off the mark because we stepped over the boundaries. But there's also bad desires. Adam and Eve, they didn't even know they had a desire to be gods until the serpent brought that up to them. And they said, oh, you know what? I think we would like to be gods and be like God. And so that it drew them out to, to do what God said not to do. David and Bathsheba. David had a wrong desire that welled up inside him for someone who was another person's wife. And he pursued it. And that ended up him stepping over the boundaries. Gehazi and Naaman. Oh, it looks like I put an extra letter in there. Must have been somewhere in the mouth. <laughs> Curse, I didn't see that one. But uh, Gehazi and Naaman. Gehazi saw Naaman leaving without leaving some uh, some money, some some stuff. And so he pursued after him after Elisha turned him away. And he says, oh, wait a minute. Change his mind. We'll take a few things. And so he took some things and went and hid him away. That didn't uh, work out so well for him. He had a bad desire that took him in a wrong direction. There was no endurance there. Ananias and Sapphira. They saw what kind of things came upon Barnabas because he went out there and made this contribution. And so they decided we like what he received, but we don't want to give what he gave. But we can maybe do it this way and people will think we gave what he gave and then we'll receive what he received. Now, Peter, when he talked to him about it, he didn't say that God put a good desire in him. He said that he put it right on Satan. Satan will sometimes put that in us. When you're looking at the Ananias and Sapphira, that is not a test that God put them through. Because God does not test anyone with evil. Adam and Eve did not go through a test that God put them through. Because God doesn't tempt them with evil. He doesn't tempt them. Well, here's something contrary to the Word of God. Would you like to do it? (laughs) That's not our God. God did not put Bathsheba in front of David and test him with her. That's not how God operates. God doesn't do that. God did test Abraham with his son. God did test Saul at the sacrifice. There's no doubt God was involved in that test because he had Samuel wait until the very last moment of the seven days. Why does he do that? I want to see, will Saul hold out? Will he wait? He did not. All he had to do was wait. God didn't tempt him to do anything. He didn't say, here, but do this and do this. The enemy is the one coming up and trying to tempt him to do all these sort of things. God says, the prophet will be there in seven days. And day six and three quarter, whatever it was, he decided it was... uh, Too long to wait. God does not tempt us with evil. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The way that the enemy gets me to walk off of faith is to stir up wrong desires on the inside of me. And I pursue those desires. In fact, I get to the point that I think the only way that I can accomplish anything is if I step outside of the word of God. And that's where these people got to. I have to step outside of the Word of God. Adam and Eve. Well, if we're going to get get to that place, we didn't know we needed to get to that place. But now that we know that we need to get to that place, it looks like the only way we can get to that place is by stepping outside of the Word of God.
And the only way they know that is because this serpent told them. Somehow they put all that faith in the serpent. We've got to get that flesh nature under control, so to speak. Get ourselves dead to it. Verse 15, Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That desire that's in us, it's going to, it's going to conceive, it's going to become something that gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. There's a process that goes on there. But you can stop that process right at the beginning. Don't be enticed. Don't be let off on that. Understand there are some tests that God will put upon us so that he can say that faith is true. Abraham had to be tested so that God for all eternity can, can say man was willing to give me his firstborn son so I have a right to give them mine. And he needed that to have, have happened. He didn't need him to actually go through with it but he did need it to be genuine. And if he didn't get all the way to the point where Abraham is up on the mountain with the boy tied up and the fire ready to go and the knife in the air, then he couldn't stand and say to all, that was a true test. Because Abraham was ready to kill him, knowing that God could bring him back to life. That's how he had had decided. Now we're going to go on to another, another part. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I put this in your outline for you. We are then urged to not be deceived. The deception disarms our defenses. Do not be deceived. This means there's going to be an attempt or the attempt must be being made to deceive into thinking something not good is of God. The temptation, there must be a temptation. There must be a deception that is out there. The deceiver is going to try and get you to think that God is tempting you with evil. That God is behind the evil. That God is behind the bad. And we see this all the time in, with people. When they lose, somebody loses a son, someone loses a daughter, well, God had a purpose in it. No matter when they have something they can't explain, well, God must have had a reason for it. And they blame God many times for what the enemy has done. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now this could be a financial situation. We might hit a financial situation thinking that God wants to break us. We might hit a health or a healing situation. We might hit an employment situation. We might hit some other kind of tragedy that's in our life. And the devil will try to deceive me to think that that situation is brought on by God to teach me something. The, it is the enemy that brings evil upon us, and when evil comes upon us, we fight it with all the things that God has given us. When God comes upon us with a test, like with Abraham, we don't fight the test. We go through the test and endure. God, if this is what you need me to do, I will go out there and do it. And God needed him to do it. And he went out there, brought the sun up to the top of the mountain. He says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift. 
Good here is agathos, that which is good in its character or constitution, makeup. It's is beneficial in its effect. That's from vines. That is what agathos, good, means. There's several different types of good. This is what this particular good is. That which is good in its character, the, the gift itself, the character of it, how it's made up, it is good. I don't have to try and find good in it. It is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The word perfect there signifies having reached its end, finished, complete, perfect. So every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If the thing that is coming is not a good gift, if it is not a perfect gift, it does not come from God. Now how in the world does that fit in with how Abraham went up on the mountain? Because God had a gift in store. That gift was his son. He needed him to go through this in order to open the door for this gift to come. And this gift was a whole lot better. It was good. It was perfect. There was nothing bad about that at all. But I need you to go through this in order for me to give you this. So that's that's what it is. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. I don't know if Abraham knew that that was the gift that was coming. I don't know how much of it he he was uh, aware of all those those things. But he still did it. He knew God said there was nothing, nothing um, hidden about it. God came to Abraham. This is what I need you to do. That was an assignment from God. There was no devil. There was no enemy in it. All the devil was going to try and do is put doubts in him and get him to, to not do it. But he didn't. He kept on. He kept going. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It doesn't say, he doesn't come up on there and say, well, you know what, this isn't quite a, this isn't quite a really good gift. This isn't quite a perfect gift, but you know what, let's just let this one, no, he doesn't vary. If it's good, God says, looks at it and says, all right, that's a good gift, let's send it. If it's perfect, let's send it. If it comes across his desk and it says, you know what? This is not a good gift. God, that's not for me. We're not sending it. So just understand, if it's a good and a perfect gift, it came from above. There's no variance. There's no change. This is how it is. Don't blame God for sending the things that are not good and are not perfect because he didn't send them. James is telling you right here, that does not come from God. So wherever it is, whatever city that you are in, whatever leader that you are under, They had leaders of governors. They had leaders that were over the cities. They had leaders, of course, in the Caesars. And some of them were evil. Do not say that that's from God. You were involved in things with other deities. Do not say that that's a test from God. That's a test from the enemy. He's coming to try and move you. You fight him as you would the enemy. But if the deceiver can get in there and deceive you into thinking that what comes from the enemy is coming from God, then he negates your defenses. Verse 18. Well, I missed a couple of your blanks. If he won't use evil to test some, he cannot use it to test anyone. Did I put that in your outline or I cut that out? I probably cut that one out. I had to cut some stuff out of your outline. What's that? 
<laughs> if he won't use evil to test some, he cannot use evil to test anyone. There is no change with God. If God says, I won't use the evil, doesn't matter who it is, he will not use it. There is no variation with him. There is no shadow of turning. He's not going to change. Verse 18, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he might be a kind of, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. I think I left this whole thing on without any uh, blanks in there because I want to make sure you get it. Salvation came that we might show the world how God deals with those who are his. It is a different way, one above how the world thinks or understands. Did I really? I did not put it in my outline in that way, so I would (laughs) go a little slower on that. Salvation came that we might show the world how God deals with those that are His. It is a different way. It is a different way. The world doesn't understand this way. It is a different way. One above how the world thinks or understands. It is a different way. One above how the world thinks or understands. This is why you look in the news media and they look at what God is doing and they come out with some preposterous thing that they say about it. Because they cannot understand the ways of God. But we are to show the world how God deals with people. And when God deals with people, yes, He will test them, but not with evil. When He sends a gift down, it is a good gift. It is a perfect gift. It is not a gift like these other gods that people serve who send nasty stuff their way. God doesn't do that. God sends good things. The enemy will be trying to get you to not endure, to quit, to stop the fight too early. That's what he's going to try and do. The enemy will be trying to get you to not endure, to quit. To stop the fight too early. Part of his strategy is to get, is to sow thoughts that God is behind indirectly sent or just didn't stop the things you are facing. Did I put all that in your outline? I didn't think I did. Part of this strategy is to get, is to sow thoughts that God is behind indirectly sent or just didn't stop the things you are facing. That's what he wants to try and do. He's going to try and sow these kind of thoughts. Well, God's behind this. God is the one who is who is doing this. Well, indirectly, God sent this to you. I mean, he may not have directly sent it, but he, he had a hand in it. Or, well, he didn't stop this thing from coming your way. So he must have a purpose in it. <laughs> These are the things that the enemy tries to do. So part of the strategy, this is part of the strategy of the enemy, is to sow thoughts that God is behind, indirectly sent, or just didn't stop the things you are facing. But this is just an attempt to mask the sin nature that is in you so your defenses are down. What they're trying to do is just put a mask on the sin nature. The whole reason that thing is a test is because there's a sin nature on the inside of you and that sin nature wants to get whatever it is that's out there. It wants to go beyond the boundaries. 
And it wants to take that thing. It wants to do that thing. It wants to walk in that way. And so the enemy throws these thoughts in your head. Well, all right, God indirectly sent this. Well, God's, God's directly behind it. Well, God didn't stop it. Because he wants this to, to go on. Know who God is and what things he says and don't be tempted to believe outside of those boundaries. Know what God, know who God is. Know what he does. Because God will tell you, this is my sphere. Right here. Good and perfect. Not good and not perfect. That's out here. I don't, I don't live out there. I live in here. This is where we're at. It's kind of like that, uh, uh, that movie that was out there. What was it? The guy dancing. Um, I can't think of his name now. No, no, no. The guy's been giving the instructions to the dance. He's trying to help people, um, on their dates. Um, Hitch. That's it. Hitch is out there. And he's telling, you gotta just stay here. And he's showing them how to dance. You gotta just stay in this. This is, this is your area. Step outside that. Nope, nope, nope. You live right here. Right here. <laughs> and he's trying to get him to stay within that. Because if he stays within that, that realm of that kind of dance and just moving around like that, instead of doing that crazy stuff he was doing, instead of doing, if he goes doing that crazy stuff, he slaps him on the face. Nope. <laughs> nope. We don't do that. This is what we have to understand with God. This is the sphere where God is. The enemy is trying to get you to think, no, well, out here is okay. God can sometimes move out here. Sometimes he gets into a gift that's not so good, not so perfect. And we have to say, no. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And God doesn't change. He doesn't become all of a sudden, well, I need to get out of my good and perfect gifts. And I need to go get into something else because i got to teach this one a lesson. That's not our God. But the enemy is going to try and sell us on that. But if I know who my God is, then I know my God doesn't get outside of this realm. This is where he stays. Know who God is. What things he says. And don't be tempted to believe outside of those boundaries. They had leaders of cities and were under Caesars who did terrible things to them and made laws against them. God was not behind them. He was not behind these leaders. He was not for these Caesars who burned people. There were some cities that they lit the streets by putting Christians on the poles and setting them on fire. That was actually some of the things they did in, in, in certain cities. That they would light the streets with Christians who were burning. Can you imagine walking down the street and seeing that sort of thing going on? God says, I'm not behind that. I'm not behind those leaders who did who made those decisions and did those things. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're facing. And the temptation was, God is behind this. God is doing this. God made these things happen to see what you're made of. And what God is saying is, nope. I am not behind any of those things. If it's a good gift, if it's a perfect gift, I sent it. That's all there is to it. God was not behind them. He was not for them. And they are doing things on the inspiration of evil, not of God. And basically, that's what he's writing this thing about. Do not blame God for what Satan is doing. 
If you blame God for what Satan is doing, that means you are ignorant of the God that you say you serve. And you are able to attribute things of the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. And things of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you know your God, you will not be able to do that. And so this James here, he is writing to his church that is scattered all over and facing all sorts of things under all sorts of evil, evil leaders. You ever want to really find out how evil these leaders are? Uh, some of the things that Rick Renner has done on these is he really paints the picture for what these guys were doing and how evil. Have you ever heard Rick Renner talk about some of these cities and some of the things that were done? Thyatira was one of the ones that was there. Pergamum, some of the things that were going on in that city. I mean, it'd make your hair stand on end that these Christians had to live amongst this every single day. And it's not just the Caesars. There was the the leaders of the different cities in the different uh, uh, places where they're at, the governors that would be there. It was how yielded they were to the evil that a Caesar was was dictating. Because not all of them would yield. You go into some cities and they didn't uh, press Caesar worship at all. And other ones where it it was a big deal. And if you did not worship the Caesar then you were beheaded. So it varied in the Roman kingdom. It wasn't just the set set thing. The local leaders had to enforce those particular things that the Caesar wanted to, wanted to do. And depending upon where they had settled, this is what they were facing. But he says, do not blame God for the things that are undoubtedly from the kingdom of darkness. Don't do it. Don't see that God has a purpose in, in you being under that. Now you endure, you stay on that faith. Don't let the evil one squash you out. Don't let the evil one steal away your crown. You stay with it and you endure. And God is watching and he is seeing what's going on. And God has a crown for those who reach the end. There is a reward. He's, he's not sitting there saying, well... Did that really happen? Boy, I missed that one. He's there. He's watching it. He is seeing where we're at. And he's letting these folks know, you may be far away from Jerusalem, but you're not far away from God. He's able to watch. He's able to see. And he loves you just as much where you are now as when you were here at home. Father, we thank you that we can know who you are. We don't ever have to blame you for the things that the enemy is doing because we understand who our God is. And we see people that are doing things inspired by the kingdom of evil. We will not blame you or attribute those things to you at all. For we know that every good and every perfect gift comes from above. That you do not change. I thank you for it. I thank you that as we learn how to endure under these things. As we learn how not to attribute tests that come from the evil one as being tests that come from God. Because then our prayer time is spent begging and pleading for the test to go away instead of doing the things that would make us stronger. Jesus led his disciples into the garden that they would pray that they would become stronger for the test that was coming. It wasn't a test being sent by God. It was a test that was on its way from the enemy. We will have tests that are thrown our way from the enemy. And we need to be strong to endure. We have tests that will come our way from our Father. But those tests are merely to graduate us to another level. 
take us on to a higher level of reward and open us up for even more good and perfect things. I thank you for it. We have people in your word. We saw how Abraham passed his test. Saul did not. Saul could have had things ahead for him like David had. But he didn't pass those tests. But when David came up to him, he did. And you made of him an enduring kingdom. You have things ahead for us, things you want us to graduate to, tests that we need to complete. But they are not the same thing as the ones the enemy sends upon us to try and break us. For we can endure, and we are able to overcome. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any comments, questions, or did I miss any blanks? <laughs> Sue, Sue Almeida wants to know, what is the difference between God's discipline and trials? Aha. Boy, she's got some good questions here. <laughs> what is the difference between God's discipline and trials? Discipline is when we have gotten off track and he needs to move us back on track. There is no reward for it. There is merely getting back on the path that we are and getting out of the path of judgment. Tests are for a reward, for a promotion, for a graduation. He, we have come to a place in our life where God says, this is a candidate to move on to the next level. Here's the test. Let's see how they do. And as we saw in the examples, Abraham passed his test and he moved on to the next level. Saul did not pass his test. He did not move on to the next level. David did pass his test and he moved on to the next level. You look at other ones that we didn't get into. Jeroboam. First test he hit in office, he failed. And he was immediately, well, that's it, you're, you're done. We're going to go on to somebody else. So there's, there's tests that are, are merely for promotion, for reward. But discipline is to bring us back from where we, where we had fallen. We had stepped out. So does that answer the, yeah, that takes a little, our time delay is there a little bit. Let me know if that answered her question or if. Well, test trials are the same. It's, it's, the word is, is kind of interchangeable on that. Yep. It's, uh, I've used both of those words because the, the word itself can be translated either way. I appreciate that clarification. <laughs> that does help out. Yeah. How do you mean discipline from the word as um, uh, apart from the word? Uh, as a, a person is uh, doing something that is maybe against the word, and um, they have a rebuke from the word that is in line with the word, and they can either accept it or not. Oh, okay. So the word just clearly says, Do thou shalt not, and I shall. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, the f- the more you move up in the kingdom of God, the less your choices are. 
you have people that are just got born again. They cannot sin the way another person, the way a more mature believer can. They just can't do it. They don't have the capacity for that type of sin. They don't have that kind of knowledge. Moses was capable of sins that most of Israel couldn't even conceive of doing because of where he was at, because of what he understood, because of what he had seen. Um, and also that sin comes with a much higher uh, judgment and a much higher price tag. If I will not take the direct discipline, the direct instruction from the Word of God that says, Thou shalt not. And I said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. More than likely, I'm not going to take the more refined uh, discipline or instruction that God gives me when he helps hone my understanding of what the Word has said. Because the Word has said some things, but I don't have much understanding. I know the Word said, I don't know what that means. And as I go along, I get the instruction on what that means. And now I know I've got to curtail my behavior within this revelation. Now, I didn't know this before, but now I understand this. That's a higher level of discipline. I wasn't capable of that before. Because all I could, when I first got born again, all I understand is the word says, don't do this. Do do this. <laughs> That's all I know. Yes and no. This is, this is it. But as we get, uh, as we move along, then we can, um, we can, we can understand things, uh, better. And God can, um, God can do things. I, I don't know how good of an example this is, but, uh, the dog I talk about that I raised when I was a kid in high school, uh, Shasta was her name. And uh, it's a good dog. And we started off just doing the things, sit, stay, uh, just basic stuff like that. But before long, before we got into a, a year or two, we, we graduated to some really good things. that we could. They were all useful. They weren't the stupid things, you know, play dead, roll over. What I trained her to do was valuable and useful in what we were able to do. And so if, uh, when I was down at the park, I could let her off the leash. Because all I had, I never had to say a word. If she was running around and there was another dog or another person, I snapped my finger. That dog got that dog's immediate attention. She looked at me. I never had to say a word. She figured out what it got, why I wanted her to do. And she would either come running over with me or she would look over, see the dog and just go about her business. But she could figure out what it was that I wanted her to do. I never had to say that. My mom would tell me often. She says, you better, you better enjoy that now because you get married. Your wife isn't going to do that. <laughs> and I never thought that anything like that would. But uh, she understood the, the, the stuff that was going on between me and this dog. Uh, I could give her a, a huge amount of freedom. Because I knew that just like that, I could control that dog. And have that dog do exactly what I needed to do. And people were amazed at what I got that dog to do. Useful stuff. Not stupid tricks, jumping over you know, logs and, and crazy stuff like that. But I could tell that dog to sit and stay and be completely out of its sight. In a strange area. Not in my yard. In a strange area. I could be out of sight for 15-20 minutes. That dog would not move. No matter who came by, what came by, who said anything. That dog would not move until I came back in sight and said, okay. It would wait. Until then. In fact, when I came back in sight, it wouldn't move. It waited for my, for two words, two letters. Okay. And it would come. Or I could snap my fingers. It would do the same thing. And then it would come running. But you see, it, because of that, it gave me a great deal of freedom of things I could do with that dog. 
that other people couldn't even dream of. I, I'm not going to get into all what they all were, but they were all boy stuff. You know, we we went out and we did stuff, <laughs> just boy stuff. Uh, God can't give the freedom to some of His believers because they haven't moved into that type of obedience. They haven't gotten to that place where if God snaps His finger, we immediately know what He wants us to do, and we do it, and we don't we don't argue. We just we just go and do it. That's a tough place to get. The believers who get to that place, God can do immense things with them because of their yieldedness and because of the way they'll, they'll listen. But that takes a lot of discipline. And you'll never get there just, well, the Word of God says I can do this, so I'm going to do it. The Word of God says I'm not going to do this, so I'm not going to do it. When Paul says, all right, the Word may say this, but if you know your brother's going to be hindered by you doing that freedom that you got, then you ought to not do it. <laughs> and see, that's another level of, of moving up into that. So if you're just on the basic level, do this, don't do this, your, your, your walk will be extremely mature and your freedom, your understanding, the revelation that God can pour out to you is very shallow. But as you grow in that obedience, God is able to do, do a lot more. Does that help with that? Okay. Anything more from our internet? Okay. Good questions. I was, I was like them. <laughs>